The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. If you believe that he is indeed coming back, everyone say amen together. Amen. Please be seated in God's house. As we continue on in worship through the preaching of God's word, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. With so much that competes for our attention and so many things that calls for us to believe in it, I hope that you can say that you believe in Jesus today. Uh, welcome to all of you that are here. Again, I, I pray that you would find this to be your soft place to land and to come as you are and really experience Jesus as he is. And, and for those of you online, we know that I know that uh, many of the people that join us online have already made plans. There will be a certain date in either this month or next month when they plan to join us presently. Uh, now that some of the things in our world have changed regarding coronavirus and some of those things that, that uh, the room will yet be expanded again with more brothers and sisters in the faith, and, and for that we're thankful and look forward to that day. Uh, the goal today is very simple, church. I, I hope and pray that if you don't know Jesus, that you would come to know him today, and that if you do know him, that, you would, that you'd come to know him more and to know him better. So uh, taking, again, our Bibles to Luke 18, let's, uh, let's join together as we pray. Father, thank you for this moment in time that we can come together and worship you like this. Uh, it's a privilege, Lord. We're, we're very grateful for it. I pray that we would be good stewards of the time that you give us. I pray that you would guide us in the way of being good stewards of everything we have, Lord, from our, from our voices as we sing to our minds' thoughts to where it is that we spend our time and what it is that we spend our time doing lord we we want to honor you lord you've done so much for us god even in a cursed world even in a world that's a mess you've given us a lot to be thankful for you've given us the ability to come here together and to sing and to worship you lord what a gift i pray that we would never take those things for granted in jesus name let all the church say together amen I'd like to give you, I guess, a bit of an apology this morning, church. There are many things that you don't expect when you're raising children. Um, how cute they are, you don't expect. How much you love them. How little sleep you can get. And how many diapers you'll change. It's just kind of amazing. Some of the, all the things that you don't expect. And one of which being that I certainly did not expect was just how young of an age that children begin to ask very deep, serious questions. Um, things like, for example, when I'm tucking Daisy in for bed at night and we do her little bedtime prayers and all the rest, and then a, a little girl that's just a little over two and a half years old then asks the question, says, Daddy, where's Jesus? And you would think that 10 years worth of preaching and studying God's word and a master's degree in theology would help you for that kind of moment. But it's like, he's in heaven, but he's with us, and 
he's at church, but he's also here, and his Holy Spirit's here, but he's also in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and just go to sleep. Like, you know, it's like, you, don't, you just don't know what to say. It's... And what the Lord has just made so clear in my heart, dear friends, this morning is that, um, you know, there, there comes over the heart of a, of a Christian parent just this overwhelming sense that you just really want your kids to know what Jesus is like. You want them to know his character. You want them to know what his nature is like. In the process of even raising children, and, and as, as they march towards the day that Abby and I are praying for when they give their lives to the Lord and, and walk with him, that, that even up to that process, that, that they grow up with this, this just true, very clear sense of what Jesus is like. What's he like? What, what are the kinds of things that he says and doesn't say what what are what are the kinds of things that he does and doesn't do what what's jesus like what's his nature what's his character like and and the apology that i simply want to make to you church is that i i recognize and perhaps you have not thought this of me and if that's the case then great but but i've just been convicted that i that this preaching from this pulpit maybe has become mechanical and that this great desire that i have for my own children just to really know the nature of jesus I've not desired, at least to the same extent, for that to be true for you. I, I've, I've preached probably in a mechanical way that is just kind of what, when a calling becomes a career and, and some of those temptations to preach in kind of a standardized way, and, and, and I don't have that great burning passion to, for us to, to really know and see Jesus just for the nature of who he truly is that is the same thing that I want for my children that I really want for all of us together, so... Uh, with this great burden, I guess, for us just to really know Jesus and see him as he is, and that's what I want for my children, it's what I want for this pulpit and for all of us together, just to really see that in clarity. There are some sayings in our world that are very popular, that in and of themselves are true, but I believe that they're very lacking. They're very short, but they do a very poor job at describing the nature of our Lord. Um, things like, and I know we've all heard these before, sayings like, God is love, which is true. God is love. He's the essence of it. If it wasn't for him and all of his essence and what he has made, we wouldn't have this thing called love. And it is true that he is love, but I feel like that statement alone does a very poor job of describing who God is. Because it would be very difficult for any of us to preach that God is love. If it was our job to preach to the drowning bodies in Noah's day, it would be very difficult to sit there and preach them while they're gasping for their last breaths and drowning because of this judgment of God that has surrounded them. It would be very difficult for us to preach that, that God is love. Is it true? Yes. But it's very poor in describing to us who Jesus is. Sayings like, God forgives sinners, which He does. But he doesn't forgive all sinners. That'd be very hard to preach to Judas as his carcass is swinging from a tree after he had sold Jesus for basically 30 pieces of silver and he recognizes what he's done. He throws the money down in the middle of the temple and then he runs out and hangs himself. That'd be very hard to preach to Judas that God forgives sinners. That man that Jesus said of Judas, of Judas that it would have been better had he never even been born. Sayings like, only God can judge. We've heard people say this before, people that usually are in the same breath protecting their sin, that only God can judge, only God can judge me, which is true. God is the judge, but in God's judgment, 
He's judged that people outside of Christ will go to hell. And that it's a just judgment. And that it's a perfect judgment. So that statement in and of itself is not sufficient, I believe. And the statement that I'd like to preach on through God's Word today is simply this one that we've probably also heard. That God is a God of second chances. So in this spirit of just really wanting us to know Jesus and just to really see him clearly, church. I'd like to preach just a simple message titled, Passing By. So we're in Luke 18. We should find our way to verse 35, where we read, and it says, Then it happened, as he was coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. I don't know about you, church, but I am thankful for the power of our loving Savior. Amen? The Bible is full of examples of Jesus passing by. In Luke 17, there's an example of Jesus passing by the places of Samaria and Galilee where he meets these ten lepers that he heals. In this example that we just read, he was passing by the outskirts of this city called Jericho where he interacts with this certain blind man that called out in the way that we just read from the text. In Luke 19, he was passing by, passing through the place of Jericho when he meets this man named Zacchaeus who whose story we know well. In John 3, 8, Jesus is having a conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And this is the way that Jesus describes this kind of passing by. Jesus said that the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it is going, where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, Jesus says that in the passing by that Jesus does, that it's kind of like the wind. You can, you can see it, you can hear it whistling through the trees, you can see the effects of it, but you don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it's going. So it is of those who God saves. You, you see the effects of it, you see people's lives being changed, you see, you see the wind of the Spirit move through it, you hear the sound of it, you see the effects of it, but you don't know where it's going, you don't know where it came from as He passes by. In 1 Samuel 3.1, there's this time when Samuel the prophet was a very young boy, and it says that the word of the Lord was rare in those days, that there was no widespread revelation, that there was a time in which church that, that Jesus had passed by and his word was prevalent and his word was strong, but there was a season when his word was not prevalent. It was not widespread revelation in those days that he had passed by in a particular kind of way in that, during that time. During the earthly ministry of Jesus, he, 
He passed by. He passed through the earth in a sweet and special way that he didn't do before and he wasn't going to do again of Jesus in the flesh with his feet touching this earth as he walked about doing all of the things that he did. He passed by in that way. Much in the same way we're in the church age today where His Holy Spirit is passing by in a way that will not happen again in the future. And, and we're marching towards this millennial reign someday when for a thousand years Christ will rule on this earth and He'll pass by the story of redemptive history in a particular kind of way. And the point that I'd like to make first this morning, church, is simply this, is that you can miss Jesus while He is passing by. And let me give you some examples so you understand what I'm talking about here. There are examples in Scripture of people who did not miss it in Scripture. They didn't miss God passing by Noah and his family. In a wicked time, God passed by them in this way of giving Noah these instructions for an ark, and they did it. They built the ark. They were in it. They were in the, the thing that preserved them through God's judgment raining down. They, they didn't miss it. They didn't miss God while he was passing by. The prophet Samuel, when he was just a boy and he's laying there in the temple and he hears this voice saying, Samuel. And he goes up to his mentor, Eli, and he says, did you call me? And he says, no, go back to bed. The little boy goes back down to lay back down and hears again, Samuel. And he gets back up again, Master, Eli, did you, did you call me? No, go lay back down. The Lord is probably calling you. He, he didn't miss God. Even in that dry season, even in that desert of God's revelation, not being widespread, he didn't miss God in that moment as he was passing by. Zacchaeus did not miss God as he was passing by that city of Jericho. Zacchaeus saw that Jesus was going to be going up that road, so the little dwarf that he was, he was a man that had dwarfism, and he ran up to climb up this tree where he knew God was going to be passing by that way. He didn't miss God. He could have just gone home. Zacchaeus could have gone home and just kept on being a tax collector and ripping people off and robbing people, but he, he went and he climbed the tree. He did not miss God as he was passing by the woman who was a prostitute who had the alabaster flask, that precious oil that was fragrant that would have been used as perfume in her work as a prostitute. She has this very expensive, incredibly expensive jar of it, and she hears that Jesus is passing through, that he was dining in one of the local people's houses, and what does she do? She goes to that house, and she breaks that alabaster flask on Jesus' feet as a sign of wonderful repentance to turn from the life she had lived and to follow Jesus. She didn't miss Jesus when he was passing by in that person's home believers today you and me when we felt the call of God we didn't miss God in that moment the Bible says that our, the entirety the absolute entirety of our lives is like a vapor and in that moment when we felt the call and draw of the Holy Spirit we we answered the call with repentance we didn't miss God in that moment if you're thankful that you didn't miss God in that moment say amen there are examples also church of people who did miss it in scripture judas missed it jesus was passing by the story of redemptive history in a sweet and special way judas touched jesus body he was there with him and he missed it he missed jesus the young rich ruler that that interacted with jesus when jesus was near the bank of, Je of, of the jordan river and and this very young rich guy who's also powerful he, he comes up and says jesus what must i do to be saved and jesus says you know the law honor your father and mother, etc., etc. And, and this self-righteous, young, rich guy says, well, I've done all of those things. And Jesus says, one thing you lack. Go and sell all of your great possessions to the poor and then come and follow me. 
And the Bible tells us that this young rich man went away sad. He went away sorrowful because he missed Jesus. He missed Jesus coming across the span of his vapor-like life. Charles Templeton, the man of some of our days who preached alongside Billy Graham, who who experienced God passing by in a sweet and special way during that time of earthly ministry that God gave to Billy Graham to preach and proclaim Christ crucified and life in him and only in him. And later, Charles Templeton goes on to deny Christ, to deny the Bible, to deny his faith, and all those things. He missed it. There are churchgoers today who will miss it for a host of reasons, many reasons. Some will miss Jesus because they have chosen to worship political correctness over loving God. Some will do it out of a fear that, out of this illegitimate fear that you're somehow not going to be able to follow Christ. And some people might say, well, Pastor Ben, doesn't the Bible teach that God is patient? Isn't God the God of second chances? Doesn't, isn't, isn't there like a whole bunch of opportunities that God gives? And I would say, yes, that is absolutely the case. 1 Peter 3.20 says, that he was divine long-suffering. That's what they call this long-suffering, patient time of Noah's day. That there's this wicked world and that there was this divine long-suffering that God had towards it. And when you actually start to study the Bible and you realize that, man, in Noah's day, it wasn't like God just like in a blip of an instant whipped up together the ark and then just pronounced judgment upon the people. There were hundreds of years of prophets Hundreds of years, perhaps just alone in the building of the ark of this preacher of righteousness named Noah. God was long-suffering towards them. It was, they had absolutely plenty of chances. So it's not just that God is the God of second chances. He's the God of like third, fourth, and fifth, and like hundreds and thousands of chances. But church, yes, it is true, 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Yes, that is true. But there is also a day when God chose to close the door of the ark. There is also a day when God will close up the door to our vapor-like, very quick, quicker, faster-than-expected life that we have, and those chances will be no more. It's not enough to simply say that God is a God of second chances. Is He long-suffering? Absolutely. But there is this Hebrew 9.27 kind of reality that as it is appointed a man for him to die once and then after this the judgment. That, my friends, is also true. So for just a few moments this morning, church, I'd like to try and convince you that this certain blind man of Luke 18, that he did it the right way. Look back, if you will, to verse 35 where we began. Then it happened, as he was coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out, saying, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. There are two wonderfully interesting pieces to this church that I'd like to mention that then will lead us into the main interpretation of this portion of text. The first of which being that he cried out saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. 
Why didn't he just call him Jesus? He knew his name. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Why why didn't he just call him Jesus? Why didn't he just call him rabbi or teacher? He didn't even need to know his name to know to call him that. That's what the Pharisees called him. The reason, church, I believe is very, very clear when you understand Scripture is that is that it was foretold of the prophets. In your Old Testament, it, the prophets prophesied and they recorded in the Old Testament that Jesus would be of the lineage of King David. That that's the lineage through which he would come. Not only that, but the angels on that first Christmas announced Jesus as being this, this descendant of King David who was to save the people. I mean, it was known that that was, that was who the Messiah, that's who the Redeemer was to be. So this, this cry of this certain blind man who's begging on the side of the road, this is not simply a religious act, a hoop to jump through. This is not simply just to get Jesus' attention. This, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. What that cry really represented was him saying, Jesus, I've read the Old Testament. I've read what the prophets wrote. I remember hearing the story 30 years ago of that first Christmas when the angels announced you, and I believe that you're the one. I believe that you're the one who is the son of David. I believe that you are the Messiah, that you are the Redeemer, and I'm asking you to come and help me. I'm asking you to come and heal me. It was an absolute cry of faith that this man said in crying out saying, Son of David, have mercy upon me. The second thing that I think is so interesting is that Jesus was not coming this way again. He had been through this region before, but he was not going to come again. In Luke 9, verse 51, it says, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Why? to be crucified to take our punishment on a cross and as he's going there he's going through Jericho he wasn't going to come by he wasn't going to pass by this way again and and perhaps this man knew that perhaps he knew that that this was going to be his chance to call out to God so our second point this morning church you can call out to Jesus while he is passing by And church, let me just tell you that we ought to be beckoning other people to do this. This We ought not to be secret agents for Christ. We ought to be calling other people to cry out in this kind of way. What I am afraid that the devil has done in our church and is doing in our church, not like churches in the world, not like church as in America, like this place, New Covenant Community Church, you and me, is that the temptation that he is working right now, the devil is working, is for us to be so passive about our faith. If you could preach in Noah's day, and knowing what you know of Scripture, knowing that God's judgment was going to pour out, and that this vehicle, this vessel that God would allow them to create would be the means through which that Noah and his family would be saved and God was going to pour out judgment on everyone else and you had an opportunity to go there and preach to those people. I don't think that the, I don't think the attitude would be, yeah, let's um, go in the ark at a certain time and, and, and maybe, you'll, maybe you'll catch some relief from the storm that's coming. No, if you love those people and you knew what was getting ready to happen, You wouldn't be passive about preaching that truth to those people. You'd look at them and you'd do everything you could to get their their serious attention to say, look, there's judgment coming. 
You can't outswim what's coming. You've got to get on this ark. I can't let you leave this conversation until I tell you about the means that God has provided for you to get inside of so that you can be kept safe through what's coming. You can't outswim what's getting ready to come. And great judgment over this wicked world is coming, and you must be on the ark. Church, what if it was your children? What if it was your children alive in, that, in those days that you could go back and preach to? Comes a little closer to home then, doesn't it? The intensity through which they, that you would tell them that there's, there's some urgency to this. This is not a passive thing. This is something that needs to be addressed, and it needs to be addressed now. You must get on the ark. You must be in Christ. Now, I want you to notice also, church, in verse 39, did you catch the opposition to calling out to God that this certain blind man had. Did you catch that? Verse 39, Then those who went before him warned him that he should be... Warned him. Warned him. Not command or just request. Warned him that he should be quiet. So paint that picture in your head. Blind beggar on the side of the road that has faith that Jesus is who he said he is, calling out, Jesus, Son of David, I believe all that the Old Testament prophet said of you, come and help my situation. And you've got this man calling out, and you've got people warning him to be quiet. Shut up or else. I mean, that's the message that these people gave. And church, man, I hope you see this, and I hope you see it clearly. The devil is doing the exact same thing today, both for non-believers who we ought to beckon to cry out to God, and even for us in this world where we find ourselves where it's synonymous. Christian is now synonymous with racist and homophobe and transphobic and even dangerous. Christians are now dangerous people because we gather together still together in groups of people to worship. And I believe, church, that there are two outcomes to that kind of warning that the devil has so worked through the hellbound culture to, to try and silence us, to try and silence the non-believer from crying out to God, and to silence us from getting other people to, to see that the true weight of all this. There's two outcomes. One is to say, oh yeah, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll be quiet. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm the blind beggar and I'm calling out to Jesus with great faith, but I'll, I won't say anything because I don't want to cause a ruckus. But what happened? That's not what happened. That's not what he did. He cried out all the more. And church, I just believe with all my heart that we have got to do the same thing. I've been so convicted this week, church, that we have got to get back to preaching the gospel like we believe it, church. We've got to get back to this place where there is some urgency to this message. It's not just something that we do on the weekends. This is something that we truly, truly believe. And if, and if, 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 if Christian is synonymous with all sorts of bad things and they want to call us a racist and whatever whatever go ahead and call us whatever you want to call us it's like i'm going to keep calling out and i'm going to keep beckoning others to call out to god why because he's passing by Amen. and some people will miss it and others will not and i don't want people to miss it simply because i was silenced by by i was silenced by the mob that was going before warning me to be quiet there are two young ladies that Abby and I know from a previous ministry, two young girls, Christian ladies, we love them dearly, and they wanted to come see the new baby a few weeks ago. So they came over, they're out driving around, and, and they came over, it's, they just popped in, no big deal, and 
And after, and I'll leave their names out of this story, but, but one of them is black. One of them has dark colored skin, darker skin than I have. And, and after they both left, I thought to myself, I said, Abby, has it ever even occurred to you that we'll just, we'll just call her name April? I said, have you ever noticed that April is, did you, has it ever, have you, has it ever crossed your mind that she's actually a different race than we are? And Abby was like, no, it never even really crossed our minds. It doesn't even really mean anything to us. Why? Because we love them both. We take a bullet for both. We never even thought about it. So if that's racist, then sign me up because we love both of them. And we never even gave any credence to what color their skin was. So who cares what the world is going to say of us? We must cry out to him. We must beckon others to do. And, And church, can I just tell you, I pity, I pity you. I pity so many in the secular workplaces because I'm in this very, very protected space here of preaching from this pulpit where I can preach the gospel and all these things. But the true reality is, church, and I believe this with all my heart, is that if every single one of you were to go into your secular workplaces and you were to preach this stuff like it's true, you were to involve, if you were to be interact with your coworkers in the same way that you would preach them, like there's floodwaters of judgment coming and, and you want the same way that you'd want them to get on the ark, you want them to get to Christ and, and you preach with that kind of intensity, most of you would lose your jobs this week. Most of you would. And can I just tell you, church, I'm kind of excited for some of you to lose your jobs, okay? I'm kind of excited for, for some people to, to lose their jobs for the sake of the gospel because they believe that there we're in this time when Jesus is passing by and you don't really hate the people around you. You really want them to be on the ark. And I'm excited for the testimonies that will come out for the church supporting you and making sure that you're fed while you look for other work. And, and boy, what a testimony that that would be to the truth of God's word that we actually believe it. So if you're here this morning or you're here watching the live stream or the YouTube later or whatever way it is in which you're joining us and you don't know Jesus, I guess I just want to say to you as a pastor this morning that, man, I'm really sorry because I really feel like I have failed as a pastor. I feel like I've failed as a preacher to preach with the intensity that this really ought to be preached with. It's, the temptation for me is so strong for this to become a me- mechanical type of dry thing. And, and I just, because I, there are people in this room who I know aren't saved. There are people who join in, who listen to me, who listen to the preaching from this pulpit on a regular basis, who have said they don't believe in the Lord. And I know you don't know Jesus. And I just, I just feel really bad that I have not preached to you with the intensity that you have ought to have heard the gospel. I feel really bad that I've not looked you in the eye with tears streaming down my face to say, you've got to get this right. You can't take this judgment that's coming. I don't want you to experience the judgment that's coming for this hell-bound world. You've got to get on the ark. The reason I've seen this church is because I love my children. I have a deeper love for my children than anyone here. And I'm trying to apply that same kind of love, the same passion that I would preach the gospel to my child, that I would apply it from this pulpit is what I really want to do so that you can see, you can see my true heart in this, that I really want you to know Jesus. I want you to see the escape that's in him. He is an escape. He's a rescuer. And if you know the Lord, if you're a Christian today, man, I, I'm asking you and I'm challenging you to repent with me of this great chasm between what we say we believe and what we do which reveals what we actually believe 
It's different. It's a huge difference between what we say and what we actually do. To do. So let it challenge you. Have, do, do you see the urgency in this? Because if you don't, maybe you should take a real good look in the mirror today, church. Maybe you should take a real good look of, am I silenced? Am I gonna, am I, do I believe Jesus like that blind man did who cried out and said, Jesus, Son of David, the one I believe in, the one I have faith in. Come and help my situation if you cried out to him that way, church. Because if you have not, then I plead with you to repent as I have and to do the same. Why? Because Jesus is passing by. He's passing by our life and this life that's like a vapor so quick. It is such a poor theology. It is such a poor understanding of God to say God is a God of second chances. It is true, but it is not complete. I hope you see that in clarity this morning. Verse 40. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Church, let me just pause right there for a brief moment. Can we just position ourselves as a church that those around us being our children, our grandchildren, our siblings, our cousins, whoever it is that's within the sphere of influence that God has placed us in, could we just preach the gospel in such a way that they would have this understanding that they can cry out to God, that they can cry out to Him for mercy, and that they would gain an audience with Jesus, the Son of the living God, and that He would ask them, what can I do for you? And that their response would be, I want salvation. I want you to save me. I want you to forgive me of my sins. I call out to you because I have faith in who you are. Can we just preach that way, church? Can we, can we witness among our family members that way? Can we raise our children and our grandchildren that way? Can we have that kind of, can we have that kind of boldness in the workplace? Verse 42, Then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So number one, church, you can miss Jesus while he is passing by. Number two, you can call out to Jesus while he is passing by. And lastly this morning, you can be restored by Jesus while he is passing by. Even though you have nothing to offer him, even though your heart and my heart are desperately wicked before God, even though we have a propensity to sin in all areas of life, even though we deserve nothing, absolutely nothing but judgment, even though you and I are completely helpless, even though Jesus is passing by, those things can be so we can call out to God and He is gracious, He is merciful, He's slow to anger, but there is a time when there is no more chance. There is a time when the door of the ark is shut. There is a time when our lives, which are vapor, are over. There is a time when there is appointed once for a man to die, and then the judgment. So I cannot rightfully say to my daughter, to my son, to you, that God is a God of second chances. What is so much more right, church, is for me to say that he is long-suffering, he's patient, he's kind, but restoration is only offered while he is passing by. So don't miss it. 
Don't miss it. What my heart's desire to say to you and to say to my children, for, to get them to see in clarity, church, that they don't miss Isaiah 55, verse 6 through 7, which says, and I believe is absolutely God's true word, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That's what I want my children to know. That's what I want you to know. I want you, I'll leave you with this last thought, and then I'll be finished. Um, I want you to imagine that you, you are with Noah and his wife, and Shem, Ham, and Japheth, his, their three sons, and their wives, and, and you're sitting in the ark after the door has been closed. And the rainwaters have begun to fall and the, the deep has opened up its endless fountain of water. And, and you can hear what's going on on the outside. You can hear the screams. You can hear the cries. You can hear the effects of God's judgment being poured out on an, on a, on an entire world that he was long-suffering towards. It's amazing how good your theology would get in that moment. Because you could look at Noah and his family and you could say things like, is God, a, is he patient? And perhaps church with tears streaming down their face, they would say, oh, he is so patient. For hundreds of years, he's let this wicked world go on. He is long-suffering. In fact, he is divine in his long-suffering towards this world. You could look at them also and say, is God full of judgment? And they'd also look at you and say, can you not hear what's going on outside? He's full of judgment and he's full of wrath against sin. He's full of wrath against unrighteousness. But with that same token, church, you could also look at them and say, is God loving? Is God a protector? Is he a rescuer? And I believe with all my heart that they would look at you, Noah and his family, they'd look at you and say, oh, look at this ark. Look at what he told us to build and we built it. Look at what he's done. He is full of love. He is full of mercy. He's full of compassion. We're not even perfect people, but look at this. Just because we believe in him, look at what he's done to save us. Yes, he is full of all of those things. I mean, can you just imagine that? the looks that Noah's family would have looked at each other, I don't believe, church. I do not believe that as those floodwaters began to rise that they just looked at each other and said, oh, now, now we got to go feed a bunch of animals. Like, like they would have looked at each other and the realization, the true realization of what was happening right then, church. They understood that they had been rescued. That God's mercy had touched them. Simply because they believed in Him. And they didn't love wickedness. That, that he had produced this thing to save them. So church, that, that, the way in which they would have looked at each other with probably tears streaming down their faces, realizing the great wrath of God that God had provided for them a way out. When you and I fellowship, when we see each other, it, when I see Eldon and his family or Tom or Kelly or any of you guys, when I see anybody, when, when we fellowship together, we should, the conversation for the Christians should go a lot beyond just what the weather is, but we should look at each other. People who know they're truly believers, we should look at each other and be like, we just escaped death. 
Because of the cross, we have escaped sin and death. So praise God for it, church. If you're thankful, say amen. We have escaped the only thing that we couldn't get ourselves out of. We got in this thing called the cross. We got in this thing called salvation that only God could provide, and he did. And we didn't love our wickedness, and, and we've turned. We've repented. We've trusted in him. We've cried out and said, Jesus, son of David, I believe in everything that you say you are, Jesus. And I'm calling out in faith. And that we would be kept safe in that securely kept safe would you stand with me and brian as we would come i love being in the ark of safety i love being in christ i love the escape from sin and death i love it church i love it with all my heart and the reason that I shed tears for some of you last night is because some of you are not on that ark. And I want you to be. Because I believe what God's Word says about His wrath, about His judgment. I believe what God's Word says about His grace and His mercy. And I believe that there is a point in a man wants to die. And then the judgment. So don't miss it, church. Don't miss it, dear friend. Don't miss your life, dear Christian, to proclaim this great truth that we have, to proclaim this safety that we have in the cross. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, we could preach, we could pray, we could study for the rest of our lives about, about your wrath, and we would still need more years. God, we could do the same for your love and compassion, and we would need, we need more than just a lifetime to see it, Lord. So God, for the believers here, I, I pray that we would have a heart of repentance towards this great chasm that there is between what we say we believe and what we do. Lord, forgive us. Father, for those that don't know you, Lord, Help me as a preacher of your word, Lord, to preach this right. Help us to remember that you're passing by, that there is a time in which that we can get this right. There is a time in which to turn and repent. But there is a time also when you will say no more. Father, come and be among us in a sweet and special way, I pray. Holy Spirit, draw the hearts, Lord. Use each of us to draw those that don't know you, we pray in Jesus' name. And all the church says,